And so therefore, we're in this sort of catch-22, which is climate change is going to affect production. At the same time, we're increasing our demand for brilliant coffee. When we started to go through the carbon footprint of the new building, it was clear that we, we had to build in wood to have carbon neutral operation of the building itself. Going all electric, I think that that's a movement we are going to see across the United States. I think that businesses that rely entirely on carbon offsetting rather than carbon reduction, you know, that's really not a sustainable approach for the long term. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. This is the third episode in our mini-series on environmental sustainability within the coffee industry. And today, we're focusing on how to reduce our carbon footprint in the roastery. We'll be hearing from Grayson Caldwell, Head of Sustainability for Bellwell the Coffee, Ewan Reed, Managing Director at Matthew Algae, Bengt Hagen, Yo-Yo Hansen's Production Director, and we're going to begin by taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture with Professor Mark Maslin, Professor of Earth System Science at University College London. Mark and his team conducted an extensive life cycle analysis where they measured the carbon generated from every input across the entire coffee supply chain, ranging from the carbon footprint of pesticides to the carbon embedded in the cafe's ceramic cups. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much for having me on. I understand you've done a, a sort of a major study on the, the carbon cost of a daily cup of coffee. What were those findings? What, what, what are the headlines? So the really interesting thing is that you assume that actually making the coffee, growing the coffee is going to be a really big part of the carbon footprint. But actually what we found is the two biggest things were the transportation, the actual moving of the coffee cherries from wherever they're produced to the United Kingdom so they can be roasted. So that's a huge carbon footprint there. And then the second one was nothing even to do with coffee. It was you put milk in your coffee and suddenly you can double or triple your carbon footprint. And that blew my mind. It's like, well, hang on. So I shouldn't be guilty about the coffee. I should be more guilty about having a cappuccino. Now, was there anything in your study that really surprised you? I think the first thing that surprised me was that I had not realized that flying coffee cherries was becoming a thing. And we had to remember, we were only looking at Arabica beans, so we're only looking at top-end coffee. But it was a way of saying, hang on, what are the trends? And well, the trend now is, if you've got some exotic coffee, there is this whole thing about, hey, let's fly it. And that basically increases the actual footprint, something like fourfold for a cup of coffee. And the thing is, it's unnecessary because actually coffee cherries are quite happy being stored at the right temperature for six to 12 months without any change in their flavor. And so therefore, shipping them is still a very good approach. It's about people realizing that there are incredible experts on coffee out there who go out and uh, I've worked with them. So, for example, Clifton Coffee, they actually send people out to individual farms around the world and actually bespoke buy the coffee beans for their coffee. And what they will do is they will make sure that their coffee cherries are produced when they're wanted, but also then the shipping means that they'll get them when they want them. So it's about planning. 
but it's also realizing that actually shipping is not going to damage your product. Is there anything that you feel that the coffee industry or coffee roasters could be doing to be more responsible and to help our planet? Well, I think it's also thinking more broadly about coffee or your product. We also have to be very aware that, unfortunately, if climate change continues, the actual amount of actual area in the world that we can grow coffee is going to shrink markedly. And I've done other studies looking at the impact of climate change on coffee. And that, for me, is one of the most disturbing things because coffee needs a particular temperature range and a particular sort of like rainfall pattern. That is getting squeezed by climate change. So we're, we're looking at perhaps only half the area that's suitable for growing coffee could be suitable in, say, 2050. And the problem is that coffee uh, sort of like demand around the world is just continuing to go up and up. And so therefore, we're in this sort of catch-22, which is climate change is going to affect production. At the same time, we're increasing our demand for brilliant coffee. So there is this tension. So actually, by helping to reduce carbon emissions, you're actually helping to preserve places that can actually grow coffee to make sure you get your morning daily cup of coffee, which I have to have, otherwise I can't function. Well, if that is not a lesson for us all, from Professor Mark Maslin at UCL, we need to look after our coffee farmers, we need to look after our planet if we want to have our daily cup of coffee. Thanks, Mark, for joining us here today. Thank you. Mark's message for coffee roasters is clear. Air shipping coffee beans is very bad for the environment. It can and should be avoided with better planning. And ultimately, if we don't rapidly reduce our emissions, the entire coffee industry, especially coffee farmers and roasters, will feel the effects of climate change, as land suitable for coffee growing shrinks globally. Now, coffee roasting machines have traditionally used natural gas, but natural gas is problematic. Not only is it a potent greenhouse gas, but natural gas systems are also prone to considerable leakage. So next up, we're going to speak with Grayson Caldwell, Head of Sustainability for Bellwether Coffee, a company that creates electrically powered, zero emissions roasters. Bellwether is a VC-backed tech startup based in California, and their roaster won the Specialty Coffee Association's Best New Product Award in 2019. Welcome, Grayson. Thanks, happy to be here. Well, we're going to be talking about sustainability today, and I wonder if you could first give us a little bit of background on Bellwether. We are a tech startup based in the Bay Area in California, and we are a roaster manufacturer. We built the first all-electric coffee roaster that's about the size of a refrigerator, where coffee shops, grocery stores, and the like can roast coffee in-house. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the technology in your equipment. So the machine is the size of a refrigerator, very compact and also very easy to use. And back to my first day at Bellwether, I had never roasted coffee in my life. And the CEO and I roasted a batch of coffee together. And it's on a touch screen. You select the beans that you're using, the roast level that you want to roast the beans at. And just with a few clicks of the button and filling the hopper with six pounds of beans, the roast starts. So it's very simple, very automated. And the cool thing is that it really increases accessibility for people who don't have to be expert roasters. And so 
you can imagine like baristas are able to learn a new skill by being able to roast on the machine, but also can decrease labor because you're able to do that while simultaneously pulling espressos or, you know, doing your other daily tasks in a coffee shop. I wonder if you could give us some background as to where the carbon footprint is created in the coffee roasting process. Absolutely. So I think something that's not often talked about in the coffee industry is that the coffee roasting process actually accounts for 15% of the carbon footprint of coffee, which is a pretty large percentage. Coffee is traditionally, as you know, roasted on machines that are powered by natural gas that have afterburners that pump more natural gas into the coffee roast cycle. So the Bellwether Roaster really looks at how we can address and decarbonize the coffee industry by creating an all-electric coffee roaster that not only isn't powered by natural gas, but you can imagine in areas where, for example, in the Bay Area, where at certain times of the day, the grid is almost fully powered by renewable energy. So you're not only not roasting on natural gas, but you can roast on a machine that's powered by renewable energy. So in Places like the Bay Area, where you've got a fairly green grid, that works really well. What about a host of other cities across the United States? Yeah, great question. So actually, we hired a consulting firm who conducted a life cycle assessment for us that compared the bellwether to other traditional natural gas-powered roasters. And we found that even in states like Wyoming, which the grid is made up of 87% coal, the bellwether still outperformed the other two roasters in terms of the carbon footprint. You've got a, a relatively compact machine, you know, six pounds. You know, is this going to be scalable? I think that the way that you can scale it with the six pound batches is to really make micro roasting on locations. So you could imagine a bellwether roaster at every coffee shop across the United States and across the UK or wherever it may be. Ah, I get it. So it's it's sort of bringing the roaster to many more locations rather than having absolutely big, chunky roasters. So you guys put together a report. I wonder if you could unpack the actual findings of that report. Absolutely. So we just released our 2020 sustainability report and found some pretty exciting findings. So across the fleet of Bellwether roasters in 2020, we curbed almost 900,000 pounds of CO2 emissions, which is a hard number to really articulate what does that mean. So we found some fun equivalencies to make it a bit more relatable. And so 900,000 pounds of CO2 emissions is equivalent to turning off electricity in 90 homes for an entire year or keeping a car off the road for 985,000 miles or keeping 179 tons of waste out of landfills and recycling it instead. Wow. So what, what are the keys to making roasting more sustainable? Going all electric. I think that yeah. that's a movement we are going to see across the United States. We've seen natural gas bans be passed. Actually, the first natural gas ban that was passed was in Berkeley, where we are headquartered. And we've seen Similar municipalities across the United States follow suit from the state of California to Seattle. And you're seeing that in places where coffee roasting in the United States is really headquartered. Well, Grayson, thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you. So great to chat. Grayson has painted a compelling picture for the need to electrify roasting 
Even on a fossil fuel energy grid, Bellwether claims it's still better from a CO2 perspective to roast electrically. We now turn our attention to a roasting company that has been prioritising sustainability initiatives since the 1990s. We're speaking with Ewan Reid, Managing Director at Matthew Algae. Matthew Algae was founded in Scotland in 1864, beginning as a tea company but moving on to coffee and roasting almost 100 years later in the 1950s. Today it supplies the UK and Irish cafe sectors with whole bean coffee and provides training, equipment and business development support. It was acquired by one of Germany's largest coffee roasters, Chibo, in 2016 and continues to trade as an independently run company. Ewan studied biological science at the University of Strathclyde 30 years ago and joined Matthew Algae in 1993. Let's hear from Ewan how Matthew Algae is tackling the challenges of carbon in their roasting operations. Welcome, Ewan. How are you doing? I'm good, Jeffrey, and uh, nice to be joining you today. So when it comes now to this world now where everyone's, you know, screaming, you know, we have to lower our carbon, you know, was this something that you put the foot on the accelerator or you're already in tune with? So uh, carbon measurement, our journey there was something that we, I guess, embarked on probably in in the mid-2000s. So it's not completely new to the business. Our first carbon measurement project we actually did was to map carbon impact all the way from a producer through to one of our customers. And it's something that we've now put in place and had in place for a number of years. And year by year, we start to extend our methodology and look further into supply chain, both upstream from us and also downstream as well. Where from your research is the main issue with carbon? If I look at our own data, then essentially in common with a lot of business is it's scope three. So it's a lot of the external stuff within the business that has the biggest impact and that that also happens to be the most difficult to measure so i think if you look at movements in carbon measurement just now there's been a real realization in businesses understanding that that's where we need to tackle because that starts to bring the rest of the supply chain on the journey and we really start to create momentum within the coffee industry and the coffee industry touch has touch points into the packaging industry it's obviously got touch points back into farmer supply chains it's got touch points into logistics companies into shipping companies so i mean yes we could discuss later on initiatives within the roastery itself but i think the wider understanding now is that we need to do more external to the business so one of those topics is is really packaging what are the challenges there with packaging and carbon footprint I think there's two different ways to look at it, one of which is packaging systems that still use plastics and aluminium, but are reducing the carbon footprint of those, and packaging systems that are completely recyclable, compostable, for instance. And there's two different approaches, and and I think roasters can look at reducing carbon footprint through the former, and then in time, looking at fully recyclable systems on the latter as well. Right, the holy grail of packaging is is getting fully recyclable packaging. Yeah, and I mean, there's other systems available, so, you know, returnable packaging. But again, that needs really careful scrutiny in terms of looking at the full carbon footprint. So if you're using plastic containers reused within the marketplace, then what's the carbon in the production of those containers in the first place? You have a carbon footprint going out to your customers. You need to get them back because of return carbon footprint. There's then a a washing and making them fit again as a food contact surface before they're reused and as a carbon footprint in that. So 
again, mm. you need to look at it in the whole life cycle. It's not just as simple as saying, I've got a returnable packaging system here. Mm. It's good for the environment because that may not be the case. Now, turning to the actual roastery itself, mm -hmm. what are the steps to making the most carbon neutral roastery possible while still sort of running a business? <laughs> so I think when it comes to carbon projects, it needs to be a win-win. You need to see a reduction in carbon, but you also need to see a business benefit at the same time. And I think it's really important to take that thinking into decision-making in this area. So I think for us, it's been about making the site as efficient as possible in the first instance, because that by default will reduce your carbon impact. Beyond that, it's, it's been looking at gas consumption, like any roaster, gas consumption into the roasters themselves is quite a significant part of our footprint. So it's looking at how we operate the roasters throughout the day, how we do planning, being really efficient around that, what we can do from a batch size optimization within the roasters, what we can do from a gas utilization. And then if I look to our energy consumption, then again, challenging ourselves when we're putting in any new equipment in, that it's equipment that is showing a carbon benefit or an energy reduction over any previous equipment that was on the site are the ways of running that, you know, how long we have conveyors running for, for instance, to reduce our energy consumption. That's really important. And then if you look outside of the plant operations, then, you know, the wider building, the installation of LED lights, some of the obvious stuff, more fuel efficient or energy efficient boiler systems, we switched away from air conditioning where possible on the site as well. So what are the business benefits of certainly tracking carbon and reducing carbon or you? I think it's really about being able to walk the walk in this and being able to demonstrate an impact. I think beyond that, as our economy realigns and really starts to cost in the true environmental cost into products and services, you know, take electricity just now, for instance, if you're buying electricity, you're paying for the electricity that you're buying, you're not paying for the environmental impact that, that electricity generation has at this stage. And our economy over time will reshape to have the true cost of environmental impact built into goods and services that we buy. So I think in the long term, a business will be more sustainable and more profitable going forward if it starts to build that thinking into its business making, commercial decisions, buying decisions, investment decisions. I read you also have a carbon offset program in place. Tell me about that. A number of years ago now, embarked on an offsetting program. We work with One World Carbon. And I think if any listeners are looking at buying carbon credits, then it's certainly an area that I would encourage people to look at in the short to medium term, as well as reducing carbon impact. But it's really important to be looking at high quality carbon credits. So we are buying into a scheme that's based in Uruguay. It's about reforestation of pasture land that had been deforested historically. The scheme itself is certified by Forestry Stewardship Council and the Rainforest Alliance. What we do with it is actually to take our carbon data and verify it with One World Carbon on an annual basis. So it's, it's almost a third-party scrutiny of how we look at our carbon measurements in addition to buying into the credits that we buy at the same time. Is there a risk with carbon offsetting that you're kind of washing your hands of, you know, like, I've done that, we're carbon neutral, don't need to do any more? Yeah, I think that most definitely is a risk. I think the consumer understanding in this area, though, has really started to change. Uh, and I think people are understanding that 
now that offsetting is part of the solution, but it's a short-term approach, if I can yeah. put it that way. So I think that businesses that rely entirely on carbon offsetting rather than carbon reduction, you know, that's really not a sustainable approach for the long term. Wonderful. Ewan, thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Absolute pleasure. I found Ewan's perspective that most carbon is generated in the activities from assets not owned or controlled by the company itself very interesting. So here is a call to action for all coffee roasters. Put pressure on your existing suppliers, from packaging manufacturers to furniture makers, to demonstrate their commitment to lowering their carbon footprint and prioritizing lower carbon suppliers when establishing new relationships. Now, it's not every day that an established roasting company has an opportunity to design their operations from the ground up all over again. But Norwegian roaster Jo Johansson has one such opportunity, and they've been on a journey to become one of the world's most sustainable coffee roasters. Another long-established company starting in 1866, Jo Johansson is still owned by the same family today. Their roasted coffee accounts for some 50% of the coffee consumed in Norway. That's around 12,000 tons of roasted coffee per year. After roasting coffee in Oslo's harbour for many generations, the team began planning the construction of a new roasting facility in a smaller nearby town and finally switched over to the new site last Easter. Let's speak with Bent Hagen, Jojo Hansen's production director, to learn how they went about it. Welcome, Bengt. Thank you so much, So tell me about the story of your new roasting facility. We decided early that we need to make a statement when we decide to build a new coffee roaster. And we early on decided that we need to build the entire building in wood. So everything is made out of wood. The roof structures, all the floors, the ceilings, the walls, the inside, the outside, everything is wood. The building itself has a footprint of 5,000 square meters. For the construction, you need to do stuff that you can't undo later. You have to do it right the first time to get as low carbon footprint as possible. That means, yeah, everything, the floors, the ceilings, the walls, everything has to be made out of wood because it's really difficult to do it later on. I think that we had one board meeting where one of the board members said they thought that we were crazy wanting to build the entire building in wood. And he said that, Usually when I'm in my cabin and I want something to burn, I don't chuck uh, a log of concrete into the fireplace. I chuck a log of wood into the, uh, into the fireplace. Uh, and he's right. But we have sprinkler systems all over. Wood is also good if there was to be a fire. Because if you have concrete, it uh, deforms and buckles when you start to heat it. And wood does not do that. And it's really dif- actually quite difficult to get wood to burn as well. But the main part was to reduce the carbon footprint uh, of the building itself. We also addressed the entire outside of the building with solar panels. So we have 1,280 solar panels producing about 15% of the electric energy that we need. That's quite good from Norway where it's really dark. Right now it's rainy as well, so the production is not, not fantastic. And we also decided that we need to dive deep into the production process itself in order to conserve energy. Energy was one of the main emissions of carbon footprint. So the first thing we did was to look for alternative sources of energy. We used 
propane in the old facility, but now we have switched to biogas. So it's methane from non-fossil sources. And that in itself, I think that is a huge reduction in our CO2 carbon footprint. The other thing we need to see, more needed to do was to dive deep into the roasting process itself. Conventional roasters, they just send the heat into the roasting chamber and then it's out as exhaust later on. But it still, it contains a lot of energy. What we have been doing is that we have, together with Bühler, which is our main supplier, and also a lot of other good helpers and consultants, we have constructed an energy central. So in our process, I think we have about 14 different heat exchangers. And the base of it is that uh, you harvest the energy that comes out from the roaster, and then that energy is sent with water as a carrier to an energy central. And from that energy central, you take the heat energy to either preheat the coffee beans before they go into the roaster, but we also use it for heating in the rest of the building. And with that, I think that we can say that we save about 30% of the energy that we would otherwise have to buy. And biogas is not cheap. So we think it's a really, really good idea and it actually works as well. A building like that, so ecological, is it more expensive than you would expect to build a conventional building for, for a roastery? Yes. Yeah, hugely so. We're located in an industrial area, and I look at my neighbors that have built traditional sandwich buildings, like you, know, you have aluminium and then you have some insulation inside in between, and then you have steel as the structure, both when it comes to time the amount of time it takes to, to put up a building like this, but also cost. I would say at least 50% more expensive. 50%. You know, what's the motivation for that? Is that important for your customers? How do you justify that? You're a business after all. Oh, well, there's a business case behind it as well, of course. We wouldn't be allowed to use this much money if there wasn't. But since we have the same owners, they can actually think long term. Yeah. And they really take climate change seriously. And they say that that was part of the task that were given to us as well, is that do whatever you can to make this as sustainable as possible. And of course, there's been compromises on the way. But with the wood part, when we started to go through the carbon footprint of the new building, it was clear that we, we had to build in wood to have carbon neutral operation of the building itself. What are some, some of the compromises you, you had to make along the way? I know I can remember one thing, and this is one, <laughs> one of the things I really wanted to do. I wanted to build silos in wood. Oh, really? Okay. And we, we went so far as we went to visit some suppliers in Austria that had used wood, not for coffee silos, but for salt like you use salt on the roads yeah. and stuff. And we were there and I think we had it all in place, but we gave up when it came to, came to quality and flavor. Yeah. We did some tests and to show that in the beginning, you might actually influence the coffee yeah. beans with the flavor from the tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't want to compromise on the quality. So it actually, the silos for the green coffee is now steel. Just to, f to finish off here, if you were to advise a you know smaller business you know someone that was roasting what are the biggest tips you'd give them as to how to reduce carbon from your roastery the first thing you have to do is to map your carbon footprint to find out what actually is the source of your co2 emissions and usually it will be the energy 
And it's not an easy fix. I understand that for many smaller roasters, the idea of going and buying a new roasting machine or building heat exchangers and so on might not be feasible. But try to see if there's, <laughs> if you have a smart plumber or something in your neighborhood that can actually harvest some of the, uh, the energy that you are usually wasting. Yeah. And to use it as, as preheating the coffee beans, we preheat the coffee beans to about 80 degrees before we put them into the roasting chamber. Yeah. Makes the roasts very predictable. Okay. Yeah. Because you always have the same starting temperature. And that means that you can have really much more control of the roasting of the coffee itself. Thanks, Ben, for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Yeah, no problem. So in summary, there's a lot of opportunity for reducing carbon when roasting coffee, and it's a journey that needs to start now. As roasters apply pressure on their suppliers to demonstrate their carbon reduction strategies, consumers are increasingly asking the same of roasters. The sooner we prioritize carbon reduction strategies, the healthier we'll be as an industry, and all the better for our planet. And that's all this week for the Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Subscribe to us on Instagram at Fifth Wave Coffee. That's the number five, followed by TH Wave Coffee. And tell us what topics are important to you so it can make this show more relevant to you and to your business. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team. James Harper of Filter Productions and Sound Engineering by Chris Bristow. And to get you all fired up, this week's song in association with the Coffee Music Project is Rage by London-based artist Kate Klein. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. <laughs>